The reading is on page 1162 of the Red Bibles in front of you, um, and it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, um, to chapter 6, verse 2. I'll give you a second to find it. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Thank you very much for reading, Jess. My name's Nathan, and I'm one of the ministers here at Trinity. Really, really good to see you today. It's getting dark, isn't it? It's just half four. feels too, too soon. And it takes me by surprise every year. I don't know if you feel that as well. But we've got warmth, a bit of warmth maybe. And here we've got light. We've got the Bible. And uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at this passage together. Lord, whether we're new to Christian things or, or familiar with some of the the truths about the cross that we've been hearing this, this afternoon and been singing about and hearing in that reading. Lord, I pray that these things that are written down here would amaze us this afternoon. Please be at work in our hearts so that, Lord, if we are dry spiritually, that this would aliven us and wake us up to the realities of what your word says. And Lord, maybe we haven't really understood the Christian faith or the Christian message before, I pray that there will be clarity as we look at these verses. And we pray above everything else, Lord, that you might be glorified as we open your word now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You might have noticed that the Queen um, in the last few weeks hasn't been at some of the normal things that she attends. So she missed last week the Cenotaph, but she's normally there um, on Remembrance Sunday. She missed COP26 as well because of illness. And it might have, you know, passed you by, but she also missed the Church of England General Synod meeting earlier this week. We forgive you if you missed that. But the Queen, because of poor health, missed this big General Synod, Church of England leaders meeting together as they do every year. And she wasn't there, but she, she wanted her message that she gave every year. She's been there for the last 51 years, okay? The last 51 years. So she sent one of her sons, Edward, to go there instead. And one of the striking things that her speech said that he presented was this. None of us can slow the passage of time. And while we often focus on all that has changed in the intervening years, much remains unchanged, including the gospel of Christ and his teachings. 
Charlotte and I have been watching The Crown. We're, we're hopelessly behind on that. I think season three or something. We're mid-1960s. Sort of We've got a bit of work to do to, ca- to catch up to the, the more recent series. But, but you notice, even in the bit we've been watching of The Crown, that she's seen so many changes, the Queen, in her, in her reign. Different prime ministers that she's met, different presidents who have come over that they've thrown banquets for, different world leaders. And think of the changes that she's experienced in her reign um, culturally, technologically, as well. But the Queen says, well, yeah, one thing hasn't changed, and one thing doesn't change, and that is the gospel. And at the heart of the gospel, that is the good news about Christianity, there is a message of reconciliation, of restored relationship, that is, between God and humans, between creator and creatures. And that is quite clearly the focus of this section, as Jess was just reading it out, just even in those first three verses of our passage we're looking at tonight. You see in those verses, five times in the first three verses, reconcile, reconciliation, reconciling. It's the theme that Paul is going to be spending his time on in this week's passage. And actually, reconciliation is a beautiful thing, isn't it, when we see it? Uh, Maybe you've seen it happen with, with friends or family members where a relationship is is suddenly restored. In my wider family, there was a, a brother and sister who, this isn't me and my sister, someone else, uh, in my wider family, a brother and sister who hadn't spoken for 10 years and, you know, didn't write to each other, no correspondence, kind of avoided each other. And then after 10 years, not sure how, but suddenly they were best friends again. And much to the relief, everyone could sort of relax at family gatherings. It's a great thing, isn't it? Or maybe it's um, a married couple who have been going through some difficulties and maybe they've had some counselling and they say, look, we're going to be reconciled and we're going to go forward together. And you think, brilliant, great. Or at a bigger scale, nations who have been fighting each other for maybe many years and then they put down their weapons and, and the leaders shake hands and there's reconciliation. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But of course it does assume, doesn't it, that there was a broken relationship, that was some kind of hostility and and alienation. So maybe in the brother and sister, an argument had just blown up and that had led to the 10 years of distance. Or the married couple, it starts a bit of bickering and sort of stuff in front of other people and then it leads to a full-blown row and, and the kids can hear it from their bedroom. There's alienation, there's hostility or... Or perhaps two countries that have just been at war and there's been death and many people injured for many years. Maybe you've experienced that kind of hostility, alienation at a personal level. Our world needs reconciliation. That is needed in the big kind of wars, big countries. It's needed in the personal relationships that have been fractured. But supremely it's needed in the ultimate relationship between us and God, between creatures and the Creator. That was something that the Queen seemed to understand this Monday as she gave that speech. Something that the Apostle Paul certainly understands. And it's vital that we don't drift from that message of reconciliation as well. See, the focal point for Paul's ministry to the Corinthians needs to be the focal point for us as well here. So on the service sheets, you should see an outline in front of you. And the way that I'm going to break it up is sort of two big points and then two ways that we see it applied, if that helps you to follow along. 
first of all then, reconciliation accomplished by God. Before then, we, we see and feel the power and beauty of reconciliation. We need to zoom out to see the big picture. Those of you who have visited our house have probably got lost trying to find it. Everyone sort of turns up in the wrong place and, and calls us, especially Deliveroo. They just, don't, they just can't find it. But, but what's needed sometimes is if you, on Google Maps, I'm sure you've done this, you just need to zoom out and then you go, oh, I'm going completely the wrong way, and you find out where you're going. And for us to do that in the Bible's kind of big story, we need to zoom out all the way back to Adam and Eve and the opening chapters of the Bible, where we see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and everything, you might remember, is very good. There's a wonderful relationship that Adam and Eve enjoy with God. Relationally, it's 10 out of 10. Yet remember God said, there's one tree. There's one tree, the, the knowledge of good and evil that you can't eat from. Someone put it like this, that there was a whole paradise of yes, one single tree of no. Okay, he said, I'll give you everything. A whole paradise of yes, just one single tree of no. Yeah, Adam and Eve ignored their creator and their rebellion has turned everything upside down that has happened since. One person said that Eve followed the snake, Adam followed Eve, and no one followed God. And it was a very, very dark day in humanity's history. And Paul, the Apostle Paul would write elsewhere that their sin on that day has, has actually trickled down to affect everyone who has ever lived since in the human race. Like a, a sort of virus that affects a computer and affects the whole thing, their sin has affected all of humanity since. We too are born into enmity, alienation from God because of sin. We're sinners by nature and we're also sinners by choice. And the thing is, this works two ways, okay? Naturally, humans then are hostile towards God as the creator, whether that's the sort of militant atheist who makes it very obvious, or the quiet sort of Easter and Christmas churchgoer. Our sin before God, actually, if we're honest, is incessant. But that's not all, because actually God is hostile towards sinners. It would say it like this in Romans 1, that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. See, not only are we naturally hostile towards God, he's hostile towards us as well. And there is alienation, broken relationship, there's a chasm that exists. When I was a student in, in London, I used to, in the holidays, go back to see my, my parents, go back home to, to Cornwall. There was a train line. Um, you might have been on it that goes past a place called Dawlish Warren. It's right by, the, um, right by the sea, as you can see there. And it's, it's beautiful, beautiful views. As if I haven't fallen asleep by that point on the very, very long train journey, you could enjoy the views out the window. Um, apart from if there's ever a minor storm... The train's just closed on that route because generally this happens all the time. The electrics sort of go on the route and um, trains can't get through and rail replacement buses and you know, you know the story. But actually one Christmas it was particularly bad where this happened. And it looks like a sort of adventure you know, rope, doesn't it? That you have to try and get across a ladder in a jungle or something. No train was going to be going across that, much to my frustration at Christmas as I tried to go home. But it's as if our relationship like, with God is like this. It's just broken. There's no way to get that reconciliation naturally. 
And because God is holy and just, because he cares about good and evil, he can't naturally reconcile with sinners. He can't sweep our sin just sort of off to the side under the carpet. I think one of Satan, the the enemy's great techniques, is to, to convince people that our sin really isn't that bad. It really isn't that offensive towards a holy God. But the reality is that our, our, our sins deserve to be counted against us. As the psalmist put it, if you, Lord, kept a record of our sins, who could stand? God is angry in judgment. There is alienation between the maker, the creator, and the creature. But... But at the heart of the unchanging gospel is a message of, well, of reconciliation. Reconciliation that is both initiated and accomplished, not by us, but by God. Have a look down at your Bibles and see where that's pointed at in verse 18. It says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. See, see it says here, God, it's all of God. It's God's idea. He is the author, and Jesus is the one who accomplishes this, this reconciliation. Those verses that I just read, it, it happens through Christ. It happens in Christ. See, God can't turn a blind eye to sin. God has to be just. Sin needs paying for, and that is where the wonder and beauty of the gospel kicks in. God in Christ has found a way. And verse 21, well, that unpacks it and shows it to us in what is, as John's already read out, a concise but breathtakingly beautiful summary of the gospel. Maybe one of the finest summaries of the gospel in the whole of the Bible. And we see that again in verse 21. Let me read it. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's so wonderful. I'm just going to slow down on that verse in two parts. The first bit, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin. Maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, you're sort of easily familiar with that. You can, yeah, okay, yeah, we sort of know Jesus didn't sin. But if we just stop and think about it, 33 years he lived on this, this earth. We know he was tempted in every single way, but he, he never sinned. I mean, he was, his life, you know, his disciples, his followers, pretty close to him, weren't they? You know, if people followed me or you, Rams, uh, to that extent, they would see us pretty tired, maybe angry, maybe doing, you know, things like that. They saw Jesus through everything, and yet they confirmed from his ministry that he never sinned. But on the darkness of that first Good Friday, he became sin. He was treated on the cross as though he was us, taking our sin taking our shame, our pride, our unrighteousness, our evil. He paid for it, not in part, but in full. All of God's rightful wrath that we heard about, the condemnation was taken not by us, but, but instead by him. But you know what? It, it gets even more incredible than that. <laughs> but that's just half of it. The other part of the verse says that actually God gave us Jesus' perfect record, if you want to know the fancy term, he imputed the righteousness of 
of Jesus onto us, into our lives. That is all of the moral perfection of Jesus' sinless life, the way that he lived. All of his righteousness is now credited to our account instead. Here's a way that you might have seen before. Patrick and Jeremy are just going to come up to the front. You might just want to stand in front maybe so the camera can pick it up as well for people watching later. But it's as if what happens here is on the cross that Jesus, who Patrick's representing here, was pure. His life was righteous and was perfect. He just goes coming just in a little bit in front. And Jeremy here is us and represents the, the way that we had lived and we had sinned. And on the cross, it's as if a swap, if you guys can do that, took place here. So that actually all of, all of the sin that belonged to us, it, it went on to Christ. He, he took our guilt, our sin, our evil. But more than that, here, we're now made perfect. We're made righteous because of the work and ministry of Jesus on the cross. Thank you, guys. And that means that we can read verse 21. I, I don't know if you've ever done this, inserted your, your own name into the verse. Have you ever done that? God made him who had no sin to be sin for Nathan, so that in him Nathan might become the righteousness of God. Sometimes we, uh, we think, don't we, just in the sort of legal and transactional sense as we think about the cross, maybe we become used to it. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. It's relational as well, isn't it? It's relational. We're made friends. We're brought into God's family. And this reconciliation is, is accomplished all by God. John Stott wrote a famous book called The Cross of Christ. And, and in it, he, he put it very bluntly. He said this, All is of God. The only thing of my very own which I contribute to my redemption, that is my saving, is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. That's, that's all I bring to the table, is my sin. <laughs> The rest is from God. How kind of God to, well, to accomplish, to provide a way through this glorious exchange. I mentioned Adam and Eve, they sinned, didn't they, by, by taking the, the fruit from the tree. Yet here it is the Son of God, Jesus, who, who died on a tree so that we could be reconciled. Guys, this is the unchanging gospel. And it gives great assurance, doesn't it? Our sin for Christ's righteousness. And so if you're a Christian, if you trusted in Jesus, right now, at 5.10, on a Sunday afternoon, on the 21st of November, as God looks at you at this very moment, he doesn't count your sin against you. Instead, he sees his son. He sees Christ with his perfect record. That, that's something to praise the Lord about, something to sing about, isn't it? After the sermon. Reconciliation accomplished by God. Second thing to move on to, uh, announced by ambassadors. Reconciliation announced by ambassadors. So God finished the, the reconciling work, as I said, through Jesus Christ. But, but there is a, a, a sort of link in the chain, isn't it, that's missing. Because sinners, people like you and me, need to repent. We need to be reconciled to God. Not that God does half and, and we do half. No, it's all accomplished by God. But a response is necessary. And that's where Paul comes in. Look at verse 18 again. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The end of verse 19. And he has committed to us 
the message of reconciliation. You might know Paul's backstory. He used to be called Saul and he persecuted Christians. Now he's given the work of kind of God to use him now to reach others with this same message of reconciliation. And verse 20, he puts it even more strongly. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's Paul and the apostles. They become ambassadors for Jesus Christ, proclaiming, announcing the news of what God has done in Jesus. I'll be honest, I, I'm sure you guys are much more clued up on this than I am. I don't really know what a modern day ambassador does. Okay, some of you, some of you even are secret ambassadors here in our midst. Uh, I, knew, I know when they get it wrong, uh, we all know when they get it wrong. So in 2019, the UK ambassador to the USA, he had to leave his post. Did you see that? Because um, well, some private letters that he wrote were leaked. Uh, saying that Donald Trump's government was dysfunctional, inept, and divided. I, I don't know what you should do, but I know you shouldn't be writing letters that are leaked that say that and mean you have to leave your post. That's unfortunate for him. And of course, maybe the, the role of ambassador, if you're a British ambassador, you probably have to be quite good at drinking tea and sort of eating cucumber sandwiches and, and maybe those kind of things. But, but it's, at its base, if you're an ambassador for the country, you represent the country you're from, right? You represent the, the Queen and, and the, the kind of British values that maybe you go with abroad. You don't go rogue doing something severely different. And Paul says he's got the utter privilege of serving under Christ to be his ambassador. Or as he puts it in 6 verse 1, he says that he's God's fellow worker. And really quite a a simple message, isn't it? The ambassadorial message that he announces, verse 20, at the end of that verse. He just says to them, be reconciled to God. That's his message. And I was looking at this, studying this week. That's quite surprising. If we think about the context in which this is being written, who is he saying this to? Who is this aimed at? It's not unbelievers, primarily, but it's the Corinthians. It's people in church who this is aimed at. That's quite a shock, isn't it? I, I was on my way the other day, sort of minding my own business near Angel Station, just walking along. And there were some people there who were doing some evangelism. They were blasting out some music and chatting to people and, in the street and giving out kind of gospel tracts. I had a nice chat with one of the ladies doing that. But it's as if, if Paul turned up in, in Angel, that he wouldn't start there to unbelievers kind of in the street, but it would be that he would turn up here on a... Sunday afternoon and, and start here by saying be reconciled to God. That's quite a shock, isn't it? And I think in verse 12 of chapter 5 we get a clue why that is the case. We looked at it briefly last week. But do you remember that they weren't boasting in Paul, the Corinthians? They, they weren't boasting in his ministry and they were drifting. They were tempted to move away to the, the shiny new ways of other apostles, super apostles and their teachings. They were no longer boasting in, in the cross, the, the kind of heart of what Paul's ministry of reconciliation was all about. And that wasn't a minor issue. It wasn't kind of like, you know, oh, Paul thinks we shouldn't have drums on a Sunday and we think we should. Or our Instagram branding slightly different than what Paul... No, this is central. This is core. And because the Corinthians were no longer delighting in the cross, because they were drifting... Paul says it's as if they need to be reconciled all over again. In the words of verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, 
that he doesn't want them to receive the grace of God in vain. And so I think it's right before we first kind of think of us as ambassadors, some of us first of all need to hear Paul say to you, be reconciled to God. In a room like this, some people here might know the gospel. You've heard the gospel maybe a few times before. Your church attendance is better than others, pretty good. You kind of think God's got a, a pretty friendly posture towards you. But you've never actually repented. You've never actually been reconciled to God. Like Paul, can I implore you on Christ's behalf, before you leave tonight, be reconciled to God. There's no greater thing. There's no greater need. There's nothing more urgent or pressing on the to-do list than to say on the 21st of November, 2021, I was reconciled to God. Because there is urgency, verse 2 says that, doesn't it? Paul's quoting there from Isaiah chapter 49, a, a chapter where Isaiah looked forward to the day of salvation. And Paul said that that day has come in Christ. The window of salvation is, is here. Be reconciled to God. Bit of a silly example, but um, some of you know that our internet has just been not up to scratch, you could say. It's been terrible. And uh, after a while, we thought, okay, let's you know, change broadband providers, um, see if that does the job. It hasn't. We thought it did, but it hadn't. Another story. But anyway, part of the package that I was looking for when I, we were changing broadband, uh, I saw a deal from Vodafone. Seems reputable. And uh, it was on a third-party website. And they said, look, if you sign this contract that looked pretty good, you get a £100 Amazon voucher as well. And I'm a sucker for a deal, so I thought, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'll do that. Anyway, we set up the broadband, it arrived, plugged it in, all, all fine, not all fine. But anyway, the internet was sort of working, but I hadn't heard anything from Amazon. No £100 had come in, or I hadn't had any emails, so I sort of did a bit of digging and researching, and they said, oh yeah, it's being processed, your, your voucher's being processed. Okay, I keep, keep checking back. Um, well, it, might, it might be quite a while till it's processed. I think basically they were hoping that I wasn't going to redeem the voucher and then, you know, they win. I did. I was dogged and I got it and it was all fine. But, but there was a window. They said, within this two months, you've got to redeem it or it's not there anymore. Look, God's not a, a cheeky or sneaky third party sales person like that website. But there is a window. There is a time when we need to be reconciled. And Paul's saying that is now. There's also a warning here, isn't there, as well? There's a warning that it's possible for Christians to move on from the message of reconciliation. Just to something more, something different, and actually to reject Paul and his ministry. But if they no longer stick with Paul's authentic ministry, focused on reconciliation, he's saying, look, there's a, there's a danger that you'll rupture your relationship with God. And actually, just from my experience, I've seen a drift happen in churches over time in individuals where the, the message of reconciliation was kind of front and centre and then just over time kind of, you know, the climate crisis, saving the planet, that, that sort of becomes the main thing of the church's ministry and money and those kind of things. Or, or maybe the feeding the homeless in the local area, that's suddenly, oh, that's core, cool. that becomes more central. 
don't mishear me, those things are good and important and right for churches in different ways to be involved with. But it's subtle. Sometimes we think that the fruits of the gospel are actually the gospel themselves, and it's not. Or it can happen maybe a bit more subtly on, a, on an individual basis. Maybe we invite a colleague to a carol service and they, they make a last-minute excuse maybe and they come the next day to work and we chat to them and they say, uh, they say, how was it? How was your carol service last night? And we say, well, the mince pies, out of this world. And the mole's wine was actually hot, not sort of lukewarm. And, and the church, oh, it just looks so Christmassy. It's not wrong if we say those things, if, if they're true. But actually, I think Paul would say, well, yeah, last night we had a good time, inspired, yeah, all that kind of thing. But we, yeah, we heard actually this Christmas how we could be reconciled with God. It, that was amazing. I, have you ever thought about that before? I know we won't have an opportunity to say that every time. I'm not saying that. But see how we can just shift away from what Paul says is the main thing that we're about. First, then, it's a call for the Corinthians and us here to be reconciled. But secondly, and the last application, we're also to call others to be reconciled. See, the day that you became a Christian was the day that you became an ambassador. I don't know if you realise that. The day you were reconciled was the day you became an ambassador. You don't need a, a title after your name. You don't need to be a lord or a master to kind of buy your way to being an ambassador. You are one, even if you don't feel like much of an ambassador. You are one. That's something that John realised, uh, a guy called John. He was, a, he was quite a talented, uh, talented footballer as a teenager. And he um, was really good friends with, with his coach at the time, a guy called Jim. And he pumped a lot of investment and time and took him to trials and, you know, really seriously. And they had a really good friendship relationship. And John grew up, he, he became a Christian. And, and after he sort of stopped doing football and didn't go down that route as a career, probably quite wisely, he stayed in touch and he would meet quite often with his old coach. They would hang out, go for a drink. And John was a Christian. He, he took opportunities to share the, the message of reconciliation with, with this guy Jim, his old coach. And he would say to him that this is, this is the most important thing that you could ever do, is to be right with God. And Jim had a lot of time for John. And he said, look, I respect that. I respect you. I'm, I'm just not interested. But a phone call came out of the blue to John one day. They said, Jim's he's in hospital, actually. He's, he's about to die. And John just got straight down there to the hospital wing where he was. And they chatted, and he obviously wasn't in good health. And, and John just said, look, one last time, can I beg you to be reconciled? Please, can you be reconciled to God? And that night, he was. He'd been fighting all his life, but he was reconciled to God. John was doing the work of, of an ambassador on Christ's behalf, going to his friends. And God accomplishes his reconciling work through, not in spite of people like John and people like us. Paul faced plenty of challenges. We've seen plenty of those. We'll see plenty more in in 2 Corinthians, won't we? He faced persecutions, as we've seen, beatings, rejection. But unlike the Corinthians, he didn't drift. He didn't move away. He never lost sight of people's greatest needs. Let's be people like that. He don't drift away, but stick to this message, rejoicing that we have been reconciled, that we've been made right with God, that glorious swap that we saw, that that exchange, rejoicing in that. But also willing to be people who call others 
to be reconciled as well. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this message uh, that Paul put so clearly in 2 Corinthians of reconciliation. Lord, it is something that our world needs, something that we need. And thank you that for those of us who who are in Christ, have a relationship with Jesus, thank you that we have been made right with God through the work of Jesus. Lord, help us never to move on from that or drift away from that. Help us to cling on to that message. And more than that, share it with others. Lord, we're, we're often not very confident, we feel weak, and we don't know what to say sometimes. But please help us to be your ambassadors and to represent you well in the world, even in this week that we go into. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.